North Organic CBD is a new sponsor of Holding Court. I love their CBD gummies. They come in two delicious flavors, strawberry lemonade and green apple. I've had them both, both amazing. One a day and you're totally okay. I like to stay active. I like to keep playing tennis. I like to get in the gym. That's why I love North Organic CBD. Their products are made in the USA. They're high quality. They're specially formulated, broad spectrum, organic CBD products for everyday adventurers. Don't forget about the very popular CBD salve from North Organics. Immediate relief of any physical pain. I use it daily for my sore shoulders, sore knees, hips, you name it. It works wonders. Go to NorthOrganicCBD.com and enter Patrick20, that's Patrick20, for 20% off your order. Hi, everybody. I'm Patrick McEnroe, and this is Holding Court. All right, everyone, time to get at it on a tennis Tuesday here in late April, the year 2022. And uh, even though no big events in this past week, some very significant events, I must say, on the tennis calendar, of course, most of them, all of them, the big ones taking place over in Europe on the European red clay, the men playing in a couple of different locations. First off, there was the Serbian Open in Belgrade, where Novak Djokovic actually reached the championship match in his hometown, which normally would be seen as uh, not a great result for him not to win a tournament uh, like this. 250, it's called, there in on the ATP Tour in Belgrade. But this was significant for Novak Djokovic. As I tweeted a couple times as the tournament was unfolding, uh, I really feel like this is likely where you'll see Djokovic start to turn the corner here uh, in his 2022 season. Of course, he's played very sparingly because uh, of the vaccination issue, but that uh, loosening, the restrictions loosening all over the world, particularly in Europe, so Novak now able to play. So just the second tournament he played of the year was in Monte Carlo. You remember he went out in the opening round there to Davidovich Fokina, where he just completely ran out of gas in the final set. So this happened again to Djokovic. He ran out of gas, but this time it was in the championship match against the inform Andre Rublev, the Russian, who was just on fire over there. They won a couple of easy matches to get to the final, including one win over Fabio Fognini, the Italian, uh, won the first set pretty easily over Djokovic. Uh, then Novak came back to win the second set uh, in a tiebreak. Uh, as he had done a couple of times actually in the tournament, he'd come from a set down, had Djokovic in this first round over Dejiri, another Serbian, 2-6-7-6-7-6. Djokovic won that one. Didn't look great in that match, but, you know, got the win. The match, uh, a very, very exhausting type affair. Then he plays Kitsmanovic, um, who, as you may know, has had a very, very good season on the ATP Tour. He was a seventh seed in this tournament, sort of... Uh, idolizes Djokovic. He's a much younger Serbian. Novak lost the first set again in this one, but came back to win the next two sets pretty comfortably, 6-3, 6-3. Then he takes on Karen Hatchinoff, 
uh, a Russian who he's dominated in their career. That was in the semifinal. Novak again lost the first set there, but then won 6-1, 6-2. So you thought in the final, well, maybe Djokovic is going to do it again after having dropped that first set, winning the second set in a breaker. But uh, he just completely ran out of fuel. And then uh, just recently, just in the last day or so, he's talked about how he had an illness Uh before Monte Carlo, in fact, and uh, Djokovic saying that he's been able to train uh, normally the way he normally does, but that this uh, whatever illness he had, which which he said is not COVID, not coronavirus, of course, Djokovic deciding to be unvaccinated, but that some other illness has uh, zapped his energy in a couple of these matches. But the good news for him and why I think this is potentially a turning point in his season is that he was able to battle back. He was able to play some long physical matches, um, and that should really help him as he looks to obviously be in tip-top shape by the French Open. These other tournaments are, for him at this stage of his career, basically warm-ups, even when you get to the Masters events in, in Madrid and Rome. Somewhat, I believe he's going to be able to play for sure in Madrid. I think Italy as well. But you know, that, those have been somewhat in question because of the vaccine uh, protocols. If he's able to get into those countries, but it sounds like he'll be able to pretty much play where he wants, uh, including, of course, at the French Open. So Andre Rublev now in his career has has beaten all the big three. He's beaten Federer. He's beaten Nadal. And now he's got a win over Novak Djokovic. The only question for him at this point is, can he make a big, big run in a major? Can he win one? Maybe the French Open his best chance, but probably I would say overall he's a little bit more of a threat on a hard court uh, against, you know, to win, to go all the way, to win one of those big ones. But certainly he's got the type of game that can, that can deal with anyone on a clay court when he's hot. The question is, can he win matches when he's not that hot? Because uh, he plays pretty straightforward, aggressive, uh, pounding tennis. And if that's not working against a good clay court player, uh, how does he respond to that? So then you go to, the other side of Europe, uh, in Spain and Barcelona, of course, uh, a tournament that Mr. Rafael Nadal has dominated throughout much of his career. Uh, even though it's not his hometown, it sort of feels like a hometown tournament. Of course, he's from Mallorca. They do have now a grass court tournament in Mallorca, which uh, I don't believe Rafa has ever played. Uh, that's just come come about in the last few years, but he's played. He always plays Barcelona when he's healthy. Of course, not this year because of the recovery from the rib injury. So it was left to uh, young Mister Carlos Alcaraz to just light it up yet again, as he did in Barcelona. Just absolutely phenomenal what he was able to do uh, in winning that tournament. I'm not that surprised he won it. But I'm surprised at the the way it happened because he they had some rain there during the week and Alcaraz had to uh, take out Alex Dimonor in a match that lasted well over three hours. In fact, it was three thirty seven six seven seven six six four. You may have seen my post reposting. I believe it was from Tennis TV uh, the video of of one of the match points that. Uh, Dimonor had in that semifinal serving at 6-5 in the second 40-15 good serve out wide Alcaraz just kind of barely gets it back at full stretch sliding short forehand and Dimonor sort of tried to go almost down the middle 
as Alcaraz was sprinting over to cover the backhand corner. And somehow he was able to slide as he was moving away from the ball, sort of in the, almost in the middle of the court and hit a forehand, which is just the fact that he was able to actually hit it on the strings and hit it cleanly, never mind the ability to cover that much territory, which was phenomenal in and of itself. But then to hit the forehand the way he did was just mind blowing. And that this is what this, this is what Carlos Alcaraz is. He's mind blowing. Okay. The fact that he can, uh, do what he does on the tennis court. Of course, having won the Miami open just a couple of weeks ago on hard, had an early loss, just getting used to the clay in Monte Carlo, but then goes through the field and then just, so then after he beats a uh, demon in the semis, he's got to play literally a couple hours later that same day against Karenia Busta, the always tough uh, veteran from Spain who's, you know, had great results in majors, particularly on hard court majors, but a solid dirt baller as well. And, and he just gets absolutely rolled by Alcaraz in the final six three six two, after having played over three and a half hour match. So that tells you, I think, quite a bit about uh, young Alcaraz, his physical strength to be able to do that. Obviously, the mental toughness is obvious, but the all around game. So it was a just a huge win for him uh, to win this tournament in Spain. I mean, the crowds were absolutely phenomenal there. Uh, as they were in Belgrade, by the way, tremendous, uh, tremendous crowds in Belgrade. Obviously, most of that because of Djokovic, but uh, they were very much behind uh, Rublev. Or not behind them, but they were supportive of him. The crowd was extremely fair there, so that was great to see. Uh, I should also mention that Alcaraz had an incredible win over Tsitsipas. That was a great match, 6-4, 5-7, and 6-2 early. That was in the quarters of the tournament after winning uh, his opening round match over Korda, uh, not actually over Kwon, I should, Kwan, I should say, from uh, from Korea. He won that in three. Then he beat Munar in straights, then Tsitsipas in three, and then the D. Minor win, and then the win over Karenia Booster, who had beaten Schwartzman, who had a great run. Schwartzman uh, had a couple of solid wins. Musetti was one of them, and he beat Mackie McDonald in his first match. And then OJ Eliassime, who had knocked out uh, Francis Tiafo. That was a three-set win for Schwartzman. Uh, Rude, who's a guy who I, I think is capable, actually, of making a huge run at the French. Um, we'll see if he can do something in one of the bigger tournaments coming, coming into the French Open. But Rude lost a t- long three-setter to Crane Busta in the quarters there. Uh, OJ Eliassime... You know, started the year red hot uh, a little bit. Of course, at the U.S. Open, had a great run last year. It's been a little inconsistent. Well, not a little, a lot inconsistent this year. So uh, a decent result for him to win a couple of matches in, in Barcelona. So we'll see if that gets him going. I haven't seen much of Shapovalov, by the way. Speaking of just, it just came to my head. I'm trying to think of where I've seen him play. I don't think we've seen him on the clay yet. So we'll see if um, he surfaces. Uh, as I mentioned, a few of the Americans at least showing up and playing on the clay. So that's a good sign. None of them doing that much damage. Of course, Corda had that win uh, over Alcaraz. It's Corda who beat Alcaraz at Monte Carlo. And then uh, Fritz beat him on his way to the quarterfinals uh, in Monte Carlo. So some interesting results, but I think the, head, the headline for me anyway 
was Novak Djokovic able to battle back in, in a couple of long, grueling, very physical matches? Um, and you, you would think uh, that that would get him get him going. I was shocked at how poorly he was just hitting the ball. I mean, it's one thing the fitness is not there. You know, having not had the match play, you can practice as much as you want. Uh, of course, which he says he's been doing. Uh, but you also have to think, you know, the motivation for him to practice had to be waning a little bit over the course of the last few months, just not being able to, you know, know when you're going to play tournaments and so on. So now that, that's gone because he's able to get in these countries and play without the vaccine. So you, so you would think that now having gotten a few really tough matches under his belt, that that will bode well for Novak. And, and, and my question as I posted on Twitter at one point during last week was, uh, you know, the question now is, can he recover his fitness in time? You know, obviously he's got plenty left. We know that. I mean, he's one of the fittest guys ever. Um, but he's, you know, more so than Rafa, you know, Rafa just can not play for a while and all of a sudden he can practice for a couple weeks and he's good to go. Uh, one of the most remarkable athletes I think I've ever seen in that sense that, you know, what he did at the Australian, for example, without having played at all and without having even trained that much leading into it, you know, he has this motor and just this, this reservoir of, of energy and fitness. That's just scary. Djokovic has, has worked his way to that point and, and arguably at times has even been fitter than Nadal, but I don't Victoria, think he's, he's the kind of guy that, um, you know, can just sort of turn it on off and on like that. So that's how I see the men's side. So we'll keep following this here on holding court and, uh, uh, very interested now as we look at what happened on the women's side of the game. So on the women's side, it's all about one name at the moment. It is Iga, as in Iga Świątek, uh, the Polish player, the new number one, and uh, obviously number one with a, a little bit of an asterisk at the moment. Okay, well, maybe even a month or a couple weeks ago when she became number one because Ashley Barty decided to have her name removed from the computer. Of course, she announced, announced her retirement uh, uh, four six weeks ago, whenever that was. But Iga is on fire, okay? And I have been, you know, talking about her ever since I first saw her play uh, in person when I said to myself, I have not seen a female player play with this type of speed and spin and particularly spin way more important than speed. I'm talking about coming the ball coming off the racket because female players um, can hit the crap out of the ball. Some of the all time greats we know like Serena and uh, Venus and Kim Kleisters and, you know, players of, of now that we see right, right now, Petra Kvitova, bigger Sabalenka. Uh, I mean, you can go down the list um, with players that hit the ball big, right? Hit the ball hard. Um, but I had not seen anybody uh, that was a woman hit the ball with the excessive topspin and speed. We've seen some women hit the ball with a lot of topspin. Sam Stozer, remember she won that U.S. Open. Obviously, Barty does it pretty well on the forehand. Um, and, you know, great slice. I mean, she's an unbelievable all-around player. But what Fiantech was able to is, is able to do, and once I thought to myself, this was like two years ago when I first saw her, once she kind of learns how to control that pace and that spin and that power, I mean, honestly, I don't see that many 
players out there right now that can play with her. Um, now it's taken her a little while to sort of continue to hone that game. Uh, but as I said last week on my Twitter, it's hard to imagine anybody beating her at the French open. I mean, to, to me, if she plays, she doesn't have to play great. I mean, if she plays her decent game, uh, which she did again last week in Stuttgart, which is a clay court tournament, but it's indoor clay. So you've traditionally had some bigger hitters over the years that are not great outdoor clay court players. Although Sharapova did win the French, as we know, she won, she won that tournament a bunch of times. I think Kvitova's won it. You know, usually it's players that that hit the ball a little flatter that win because in playing indoors, you know, you don't have as the conditions, the ball moving around as much. Now, Sviantek, I mean, she's just rolling people. It's not like she's just winning matches. I mean, she's barely losing games. I believe that was a fourth tournament she's won this year, all big tournaments on the WTA tour. Radicanu was in her way uh, this past week. And I thought Emma, who hasn't done well at all since the U.S. Open, actually looked really good and won eight games. It was 6-4, 6-4 for Sviantek after she'd won her first couple of ma- uh, first match, you know, one and one. Then she actually got tested by Samsonova in the semis, which was, was a shocker to me, did Sviantek. But she won that. Uh, six seven six four seven five, and then Sabalenka, who's a who to me is like loves that surface. It loves playing over there because again, she's a, she hits the ball huge. You know, she slides pretty well, but I wouldn't say she's super fast. Um, so you can play sort of aggressive, fairly flat type of tennis, which Sabalenka was doing throughout the tournament. She had a, you know, a couple of really good wins. Contivate, who's another player that uh, really cracks a ball. She won that in three, six, one in the third. Bedosa, who to me is probably better outdoors on clay because she plays a little more spin, you know, a little more traditional type clay court tennis. And Sabalenka beat her in straight sets. And then it's two and two. It's Viontek in the final. Um, so it's, it's, I guess in two out of three, there's, there's always more the chance that there could be an upset, you know, more so than there is in men's tennis, at least in a major and best of five, uh, particularly against one of the, those big guys. You, you know, you feel like it's a lot harder to pick them off. Um, whereas over the years, uh, the last, you know, five, seven years, those those guys, and I'm talking now about Djokovic and Nadal, um, are a little more vulnerable in, in the best two out of three set matches, partly because you know, they're not as, they're not as dialed in mentally into those events as they used to be because they're focusing more on the majors. Uh, and you know, their, their, their dominance is not like it was. It it just, what happens is in the majors, they dial it in even more. Their fitness is at its highest peak, highest level, their focus, and therefore it becomes, you know, even that much tougher to beat them. So I guess what I'm saying is for Sviantek, um, it's possible she could get picked off, but I, I just absolutely love the way she moves, the way she plays. She goes after her shots. You know, she's got that slide out to the two handed backhand, you know, a la Djokovic. Uh, and it is refreshing to see somebody who is grasping uh, the mantle of being number one. And, and, and yes, she sort of backed into it in a way because of Barty's retirement, but the way she's handled it since has been unbelievably impressive. I mean, just unbelievably impressive how good she has looked uh, on hard courts, now on clay, which I think is her favorite surface. 
But it, it, to me, the way she's playing, there's no reason she can't win Wimbledon. For example, there's no reason with the, her ball striking ability and her athleticism, the serves got popped, the movement's phenomenal. She's an unbelievable athlete. Um, and uh, it's fun to watch. It really is. It's really fun to watch. Uh, shifting gears just a little bit to the controversy surrounding the Wimbledon decision. You you may have heard me on CNN discuss it. Um, of course, I did a podcast um, with Mike Dixon of the London Daily Mail about the decision by Wimbledon. I, I, I you know people are asking me about it all the time. I'm very very torn by uh, whether it's the right move or not. I must say. Uh, as I said, my buddy Cliff Drysdale, my longtime partner at ESPN, my mentor, my sort of big brother in, in so many ways, uh, kind of started to convince me that it was the right move because of uh, the atrocities going on in Russia are so extreme. It's a, it's, it's a moment in time that is unlike any other which he explained to me uh, with his history of being a South African citizen and not being able to travel to certain countries uh, because of apartheid in his native country. Of course, he moved out when he was a college kid to get out of that country and to be able to pursue his tennis career, which he did incredibly well. And of course, has become an American citizen over the years, um, way back when. I mean, I think it's been 50 years or so that he's a, a U.S. citizen. So he's been living in the U.S. for that long. But he's he... he was able to influence my thought process a lot because when I first was discussing it and I heard rumblings about this is even before Wimbledon, the All England Club, made the decision, I thought, gee, that's not fair at all to these individual players and it's not the right move to make, um, which many people feel that way, by the way, many people that I know and respect. Uh, but I must say that having kind of taken it all in, uh, Sally Jenkins, who's a great writer who writes for the Washington Post, also wrote an article in support of the decision, mostly because uh, it's just so horrendous what's going on, what the Russian military is doing and what's happening in Ukraine and just destroying civilians um, and their lives and the entire these entire cities. It's just unbelievable. I mean, it's just completely outrageous. And so uh, what the argument from Cliff was, this is one tool in the toolbox. This is just one small thing. People say, well, the Russian government doesn't care about sports or tennis, or, and that may be true when, when it comes to their decisions they're going to make for their their military and their, uh, uh, and their own government decisions that they're going to make. But maybe this is just one more thing that the world has to do to get uh, to, to, to help make change, which is what Cliff was telling me about South Africa. He was like, obviously, there are all sorts of sanctions and all sorts of things done to the South African government, but um, not allowing athletes to play in certain places seems like it affected the regime. You know, in fact, it, 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 at some point, it took a while, but at some point it, it started to affect change in that country. And uh, I think that because of that, this decision from Wimbledon was gutsy because nobody else in tennis has made that decision. Nobody. I mean, no other tournaments have made that. They've all fallen back on the decision, which was we're not going to penalize these individuals uh, like some that I just have been mentioning. Andre Rublev, great guy. Love him. He's very well liked. It's not, it's, not, it's not about whether the players are liked or not, but of course, as someone who's so close in the tennis world, and I met a lot of kids when I was a teenager that played for those years, the Soviet Union, that I became friends with. Uh, 
Andre Cherkasov, Alexander Volkov. I mean, these guys were my age, and they, you know, I knew them all my years on the tour. And um, it was a, it, it broke down some barriers. The fact that we were both, we were all kids, you know, 16, 17 playing tennis, and then into our 20s and 30s, and, you know, coming from different countries. And at that point, uh, countries that were, at each other's throats, politically speaking, you know, the Soviet Union and, and United States was before the Berlin Wall came down um, and the Soviet Union uh, disintegrated, which I guess is, I guess, that's part of the reason these these uh, wars are breaking out because uh, Putin and the government want to recreate it to some extent. So I'm not going to get into that pol- the political side of it. I just think that it, this continues to be a story that... Um, fascinates me and <clears throat> has me thinking constantly about what's what what's the right thing to do and uh it's tough for the players i mean it's really tough uh there's some talk that the atp is considering taking points away from wimbledon that they're going to be having a meeting within the next uh, couple of week or two i think madrid is not this week next week um because the ATP and the WTA clearly came out against this uh, decision from the All England Club. And uh, so this is not the end of this. And I will continue to discuss it uh, again. Uh, it's something to me that I, I try not to be wishy-washy about uh, issues. But this one I really am because I find it very difficult uh, to know exactly what's the right thing to do. Uh, is this going to affect change in the country that the Russian players and Belarusian players can't play in Wimbledon? You know, probably not. Uh, although, uh, is it something where if you're the, you're the All England club, do you want to be handing that trophy to a player from one of those countries? Uh, so these are tr- well, really tough times. So uh, if anybody has any ideas about who would be a good guest for me, please send them my way on my Twitter on my social media. I'll continue to stay on this as much as I can. And that is a quick, not so quick, a little bit of wrap up here, late April on Holding Court on a Tennis Tuesday, everybody. Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe is powered by Mudhouse Media. Media.